0: All right, under nationalism, which directly it ties to imperialism. But this is what I'll need you to think about when you listen to this podcast. How does nationalism directly link to imperialism and then industrialization? How does one cause the other, especially when we're talking about nationalism? Another thing to ponder during this one is what makes a nation in the first place? What is a nation? What makes a people unite? In this podcast, we're going to talk about the... the, the Italy, Germany, and India all get started now at this point in time. The question you need to try to figure out is why now? What is this common thread? As I stated in the previous podcast, imperialism and nationalism will sort of go hand in hand. Okay? Nationalism, what is it? Well, For a simple definition, pride in one's own country and or culture, okay? Now, this is often based in language and culture. And often, outside forces bring a group group together, a feeling of nationalism, okay? For example, uh, 9-11 in the United States brought people together. World War II brought people together. Now, this is going to start, we're talking around 1900s. Late 1800s, some of the starts, but I'm going to focus on two countries for this one just to make it not overwhelming. I'm going to focus on the formation of Italy, the Italy we know today, and Germany, mainly because of key players of what's to come. Well, as we've talked many times before, Rome was the center of the known world from, you know, uh, before Common Era. We're talking about the Roman Empire and, and etc. That was the beginning of the beginning of the end after it fell. Okay, it's collapsed. These other nations, many other nations have controlled Italy. In fact, Italy itself did not exist. It was a collection of city-states. You are Venetian. You weren't Italian. In fact, when we talked about the Age of Revolutions, when we talk about 1796, remember Napoleon Bonaparte. He took the entire peninsula and when he brought that Napoleonic code, it started thinking that hey, we aren't them. This is the idea that, you know, we are different, they are French. This is the idea that starts what we call one Italy. When Napoleon fell and Italy was divided again, but the feelings were planted. The ideas, the the thoughts were planted. Secret societies began to form for freedom. And you're going to have some key players. They're all in the notes. You don't have to worry about spelling them unless you're listening to this along with the notes. Giuseppe Mazzani, he was known as the soul of Italy. So you're talking about 1830, he joined the group to unite the Italians In 1832, he made this group called Young Italy or Young Italians, depending on the translations. He wanted to rid Italy of Austrians because Austrians on the northern border and etc. In 1848, he started a rebellion in Sardinia and it did not work. He was exiled in 1849. But a new king named Victor Emmanuel II had come to power and once again. You can't get all the undercurrents, especially in a seventh grade class, because you could spend a whole semester in college talking about uh, the ripples from this splash in the pond. But uh, the king, prime minister, who it would be a president, in other words, so you understand, Camillo de Cavour. I hope I pronounce it right. My Italian's not too good. He was known as the brain of Italian unification. He basically was a very good politician, a very good politician. He got France on his side versus the Austrians. Well, once again, why? Because Austrians and the French, if you remember the French Revolution with Marie Antoinette and the French, there was already a dislike and then basically exchanging border land. Everything is about resources, markets, empire, imperialism. So realize these two overlap. And the friend or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So if the French and the Austrians don't like each other and Italians and the Austrians are trying to, you get the French on your side. So basically France and Sardinia pushed Austria out of the Northern territories and the surrounding neighbors of Sardinia joined them in 1860. Now this is all in the Northern part. Next comes a person called Giuseppe Garibaldi who was known as the sword of Italian unification. Now, once again, when you get in class, we'll we'll talk a little bit more about him, okay? I'm not sure if he was. Um, uh, you'll see the pictures are on the blog spot, and once again, you can do some more research if you're interested. Giuseppe Garibaldi, at age 26, joined young Italy as a fighter. He was a fighter. He was exiled out of Italy for a couple of failed revolutions, but he returned in 1859 with only a 1,000 volunteers. They were called red shirts. Why? Well, pretty simple. To join his army, you had to have your own gun and a red shirt. So this was his army that's going to be going through. Now he's he's a very good general, or extremely lucky. I haven't decided yet, but he basically started in the southern part of Italy and moved northward, while the brain, Camillo de Cavour, started in the north and moved south. Now, once again, the bandwagon effect. When people are winning, people join. When you're losing, people leave. Well, since these two were winning a whole lot of these battles, more and more of these people were joining their cause, the young Italians or young Italy. Well, most of Italy will be free by 1861 under the King Victor Emmanuel II. Now, the last standout or holdout was Rome. Now, this is the Pope. Now, remember way back when we talked about medieval, once you have power, you don't want to give up power. Well, once again, the Pope has power. He is, that's just the center of the Catholic world. Now, you got to remember, France was Catholic, and then because of the French Revolution, many Catholics were killed, so forth and so on. So, just remember, all these overlap. Well, since the Pope doesn't want to give up power, but he also doesn't have his own army. So we'll get to that in a second. Venetia was in the north. That's a spot in Italy that was not free. But the rest of Italy and then Rome was the last holdout. But the rest of Italy was free. Well, Prussia defeated Austria in 1866. And since Italy helped Prussia, now this is Prussia, P-R-U-S-S-I-A, not Russia. This will be what we will call Germany here in a few moments. Venetia was returned to Italy as thank you, because once again, enemy of my enemy is my friend. In 1861, France pulls its troops out of Rome because that was to protect the Catholic Pope. And since France is still technically a Catholic nation, okay, because the failed revolution of, well, not failed, but for lack of a better word, once Napoleon took over, and then once he was defeated, things returned back. 1871, France pulls its troops out of Rome to fight the Prussians and Garibaldi because the French feared a German unification. The Pope's army was no match for, the, for Italy, and therefore you now have Italy that we know today on the map. The boot kicking the football, okay? Once again, pull up a map. if you're, We should already have had the geography test. Now, realize that this overlaps quite a bit because I talked about how Prussia, which will soon be known as Germany, and you got the French, the Austrians. Once again, alliances change quite quickly during imperialism. Why? Because it's all to my advantage, whatever I can get the best advantage from, okay? So, moving on, let's talk about how Germany came to be and became one of the major powers. All right, once again, we have to go back a little bit to where Napoleon took over large parts of what we know as Germany today, thus spreading that nationalism there, saying, hey, we don't speak French, they are different than us. We need to unite. Well, once again, after Napoleon and the Confederation was formed, you're talking about a confederation with German speaking to get, them, to get the, the rest of the French out. Well, Austria, who had problems with Napoleon because the execution of Marie Antoinette, who was Austrian, and Louis XVI, remember these connections now, Austria was the largest. Therefore, they're the leaders of this German confederation. Otto von Bismarck. His picture will be in the Google classroom. He is the king of Prussia. Excuse me. The king of Prussia made him the prime minister. Sorry. So the king of Prussia. Prussia is known for its military prowess. In other words, they were good fighters. They were all about the military. So he made Otto von Bismarck uh, the prime minister, what today we call president in 1862, And Otto von Bismarck felt the country, the whole, is more important than the individual. And he preferred to fight over talking. Okay? Uh, In 1864, there was a war with Denmark, and this proves his point where he'd rather fight than talk, Uh, was over in seven months, becomes part of this confederation. 1866, the war with Austria, the very leaders of this, because they felt the they felt they were weak and that Otto von Bismarck would be better, was over in seven weeks. But now remember, this is that part where, I remember, it said Italy helped the Prussians. Therefore, they got Venetia back. This is that point in 1866. They saw an opportunity where Austria controlled the northern part of Italy, so you help the enemy of my enemy, and we become friends. There was a new confederation formed after Austria was defeated, and Austria was not allowed to join. So in 1867, you have what's called a German confederation. In 1870, Germany went to war with France and defeated France and took a place called the Alsac-Lorraine region. Now, this is a rich in resource region, and please remember this when I start talking about... Uh, It was French, then it was German, then it was French, then it's German. Matter of fact, many people in this region speak both French and German fluently. In 1871, this is the official start of what we would call Germany that was on your European map test. You're going to have Kaiser Wilhelm I. Make sure you check out his picture. Was the king and Bismarck would be the chancellor. Now. Once again, without getting too caught up with names, it's sort of like saying they're the political president, okay? But I do want you to realize that Germany, the military, becomes the main part of the national identity, their nationalism. It's a pride. If you were young, male, and able-bodied, most likely you were in the military. This becomes part of their nationalism, their nationalistic pride, their culture, because soldiers were given the highest honors and respect. Now, Germany, because we are in the age of industrialization, needs to industrialize, but everything is geared toward, not everything, many things are geared towards military production. They also were very proficient and very well organized at getting it, therefore made Great Britain nervous because they are competitors. So all of this is building up to a, a, a conflict because if I need resources and you need resources and there's, an island that is full of resources, we're going to fight over that. Please remember this when I start talking about what's coming next. This idea of imperialism and nationalism is going to directly lead to World War One.